You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. Amen. All of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know about you, but I ask this question a lot. And I wonder about this question a lot during my day. And here's the question. What time is it? Now, right now, some of us might could say it's 9.38 a.m. But to me, it's not 9.38 a.m. It's time for me to preach. In some cases, we measure time by an hour and a minute But at other times, we measure time by events. We measure time by moments. We measure time by seasons. This morning, I believe the writer of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with what time is it. And so this morning, as we stand to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to answer the question, what time is it? Now, many of us, In this area, no, if I understand correctly, last Sunday for the last time, we will never go back to standard time. In the spring, when we set our clock forward, in the fall, we'll never gain that hour back. So we're going to live on daylight savings time instead of standard time in 48 of the states in the United States except Arizona and Hawaii. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like standard time. Because that means for me and my day, It actually gets darker quicker in the afternoon and my day ends quicker for me. December 21st is my favorite day of the week because it's the longest night of the year. I love that day, best of all days. Man. I mean, when you get up, the sun ought to already be up, my opinion. There's going to be a debate. Some of you are going to be like me and you're going to like standard time and you're not going to like it next year when you know we switched to daylight savings time and we're never going back to standard time. Some of you are right reversed. In the early morning service, I got a few boos and I got some hand clap for the people who love that we're going to daylight savings time all the time. See, all of us see time differently. I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan, you measure the year by a season, football season, correct? If you're from Kentucky, it's basketball season. We all have different ways in which we look at time. And this morning, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing. He's looking at time. But I think what he really wants all of us to realize is this. We live under God's time. So every time you have that thought, daylight saving, standard time, what time is it? I want you to think about 
God's time. And am I responding right to the fact that I'm living in a world that's on not my time, but God's time? Let's stand together and we're going to read the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time forever matter or activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Father, wow. Here we get to gather with people who have chosen to come in person to the church building and worship together. And yet, we've also got others who are worshiping with us in their home, on the road, on vacation, from a hotel because they had to work out of town this week. Thank you, Father. For everyone, whether in person or online, who gathers with us right now. Father, we want to hear your word. We want to know what time it is. And we want to be ready for this season that we find ourselves in as your child. For someone who may not know you this morning, Father, may this be the season that they are spiritually born again. This is the time when they turn from sin and put their faith in your son like we have already done. And just as John did this morning, give them that desire, that conviction to want to go down into the waters of believer's baptism. Thank you for John's life. Thank you for the new person that you've made him and that you've made us. Now, Father, you know our heart. We don't want to be a hearer only. We don't want to be a speaker only. We want to be a doer of your word. And it's in your precious, precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to do a disclaimer. As best I can tell, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 begins with a poem. A song. Solomon was a master at writing poems. He was a master at songwriting. I, there's no love for poetry in me at all. I am a prose guy. Now, 
We're going to try to look at the first 15 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We were going to try to do 22 verses, but couldn't do it in the first service. Went 14 minutes over. We're going to cut out some stuff because y'all going to listen better than they did. Amen? Verses 1 through 8 is a song, a poem, but 9 through 15 is the explanation of why the writer's writing the song and what the song's really about. I'm that guy that when a new song comes on the radio that Mimish is listening to, I don't get it. She knows I don't get it. She'll look at me and say, you didn't get that, did you? And I'll say, no, I didn't get it. But I've lived with her long enough to know not to ask what the song's about, why it's being sung, but to let her listen to the song in its totality. And then after the song, she will patiently love and explain it to me, but then look at me like she has no clue why I don't get it. I'm a prose guy. 9 through 15 is in prose. But I'll tell you what I've done for you and I've done for the Lord. I spent most of my week studying a song. I'm not 100% sure I understand the song, but I think I do. So I'm not going to be dogmatic at all. As a matter of fact, I called Corey last night. Uh, He and Katie are celebrating their 17th wedding this week, so they're out of town. And I called Corey to say, Corey, here's what I see in this text, but it's a song. He said, Dad, it's okay if you contradict me. I may contradict Corey this morning. Corey may contradict me later. But I'm admitting to you up front, I got a passage of scripture that I probably shouldn't be preaching because half of it's a poem. Got it? But I've tried to do my due diligence with the poem. But I can't wait to get to the explanation of the poem in 9 through 15. But here's what Solomon says. For everything, there's a season. And a time for every activity under heaven. As Corey's already said previously, the phrase under heaven, the phrase under the sun, is talking about Solomon trying to figure out how life is to be lived under the sun without regard to knowing God. Can you imagine trying to figure life out? Under the sun? See, that's hard for me because ever since I've been a kid, I've been exposed not to just life under the sun, but life above the sun. So please know that when Solomon writes this song about life under the sun, here's what he's really talking about. He's talking about how life is in a fallen world. Now, me and you can identify with that. Because even as believers in Christ who live above the sun, we still live below the sun in a world that's fallen. And so that's what Solomon's going to write about. Now, here's where I'm a little envious. I'm a lot envious, I've got to be honest with you. Songwriters can take a truth, a thought, and write it in three and a half minutes. And be done. And it takes a preacher with prose 50 minutes to say the same thing. 
And then when the preacher has spent 50 minutes saying the same thing the three-minute song says, nobody remembers the 50-minute sermon, but everybody sings the three-and-a-half-minute song. Give me a break. Amen? Did you know that in the 1960s, someone put a tune to this and made it a song? And then it was recast later as a song? Are you aware of that? Listen to this. In a fallen world, everything has its season. Everything. Every activity under the sun in a fallen world has its time. And so now the songwriter's gonna sing about time. He's going to talk about 28 seasons. But he's going to arrange them in pairs of 14. These are called merisms. Where he's going to take one time and then contrast it with its opposite time. But then using Hebrew poetry, he's going to make a statement, a merism, but then he's going to put another merism with that merism so that that second merism gives clarity or more detail to the first statement. So in my opinion, I'm not a songwriter. From the skill I've learned from Salisa explaining to me songs, I want to try to break this song down for you. I think it's broken down into four stanzas, so to speak. He talks about the first group of eight, then the second group of eight, then he talks about four times, then he talks about eight times again. And together, when we put this song together and we don't leave out a verse, like the church does, third verse of hymns, we see the totality of life lived under the sun. The totality of what life's like living in a fallen world. I didn't like it at first when the songwriter changed Amazing Grace and added the little my chains are gone. Didn't like that. I now like it. Not to change God's word, but I want to remind us as we listen to this song, this song is viewed differently now for us who live on this side of the cross. Solomon is living before the full revelation of God in Christ. So that skews his song a little but he still nails it on what life is like in a fallen world. You ready? Let's look at the first stanza, as I call it. First verse. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. This week as I've meditated on this, I think each of those eight seasons are describing life in a fallen world has a beginning and it has an ending. 
And you need to remember that. Life has a beginning. Life under the sun, life in a fallen world has an ending. Now when it says there's a time to be born, Hebrew scholars will disagree that this should not be stated, a time to be born, but it should be stated this way, a time to give birth. So it's talking about the blessing God gives to us as people, the ability to give birth, to bring life into being as he did when he spoke everything into existence. But when you bring life into existence, know this in a fallen world, that life will end. So those of us who live under the sun are going to have a season where we experience life, but we're also going to have seasons where we experience the death of that life. Time to plant. A time to uproot what's been planted. Now, now some people want to say a time to plant and a time to harvest. No, 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 no. That's not what the writer had in mind. The writer had in mind in his day, you planted the seed, the seed grew, the seed produced fruit, and then after the seed produced fruit, you know what you did? You uprooted the plant. Any of you ever uprooted something that was still alive that you planted? Yeah, that's the picture here. Again, it's that metaphor of you give life to something, you plant it. But in a fallen world, it's not going to last forever. You're going to uproot it. You're going to take it away. Then look what he says. Now watch this. The first two merisms, the first four seasons, start with the positive, end with the negative. Start with birth, end with death. Start with planting, end with uprooting. But this next part of this stanza verse starts with a negative. Time to kill. And a time to heal. Time to break down. Time to build up. Now for us Christians, we're going to struggle here with this time to kill. But please hear me say this. The writer is not writing from a prescriptive point of view. He's writing from a descriptive point of view. He's not saying what's right or wrong, what's moral or immoral. What he's saying is, this is how life is. And there's going to be seasons when people kill. Intentionally. And you're going to experience that in a fallen world. You may be on the other end of that. You may have a family member who's on the other. You may be in a country where that happens. 
But that's going to be offset with what? There's a time to heal. There's a time when you don't kill, but you heal the person from the wound or the injury or whatever they've done. That's what life looks like in a fallen world. There's going to be a time to break down. Yeah. Solomon knew this. He knew there's going to be a lot of things he was going to invest his wealth in and he was going to build it up and then the guy who followed him was going to tear it down, break it down. So Solomon knew that those things he were building were not going to last forever. But then there's that time where you do build up. And you may build up after you tore down something previously. So just be careful what you're building and just know this. It's not going to last. No matter how hard you try, there's a season when it's going to be torn down. But praise the Lord, you had that season. To build it up. Now we go from this cycle of life, this beginning and end, to understanding what we experience in life when we go through these seasons. Look what he says next. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. If you examine these, all of these deal with emotions. And you better get ready for this. There's going to be a time when you're going to have a time or a season where you're going to weep. You're going to be moved to tears. You're going to be moved to sadness. And you're going to express that some way. Can't stop it. It's going to happen. I love all of our humanitarians who are trying to take pain out of the world, but not going to happen. In a fallen world, we're going to weep. But we're also what? Going to laugh. Yeah. I know that every week of my life, as long as I'm alive and Michael Palmer is alive, I'm going to have a laugh. Because he's going to call me with a joke He's going to answer his phone saying it's the funny farm and he's going to make me laugh and I like that. Yes. Aren't you thankful that there are moments in life when we laugh? Yes. Now have y'all noticed this? Previously we started with the positive and ended with a negative. We started with birth, ended with death. We started with planting, ended with uprooting. But now, we're starting with a negative. Like we did previously. In a fallen world, under the sun, absolutely going to be as much weeping, if not more, than laughing. That's what the writer's trying to say. That's what this song is about. Now, 
weeping. Sometimes you just can't cry your tears and shut it off. There's a mourning season. And it doesn't matter how much everybody tries to tell you something to make you laugh. You can't and you're not going to. Because you're not weeping. You're mourning the loss of someone. The loss of something. But when you're in that season, there's also going to be somebody else in another season of life, and they're in the season of dancing. Now, Hebrew scholars tell me this word really isn't the word for dance. It's the word for skip. So I'm assuming Solomon was like me. He didn't have much rhythm in his body. So when he wanted to describe dancing, his dancing looked like my dancing would look. It's more like skipping. But here's the point. Yes, there's a time when we're saturated with grief. But then there's a time when life is so good, our feet don't hardly touch the floor. And life looks like a dance. Time to cast away stones, time to gather stones. I love this. But now to really understand this, you've got to remember what life, like, life, what life was like back then. Do, do you remember when God talked about Israel and he talked about he was going to plant them as his vineyard and he said one of the first things he did was he removed the stones from the field before he planted them? See, the Hebrews had this thought. They knew God created the world They also thought God might have had angels assist him in creating the world. And the thought was that when God gave the angel to spread all of the rocks out over the earth, the angel actually tripped at the border of Palestine and dropped all of the rocks. Palestine is rocky. And so Israel was always gathering or casting out stones. Now here's what happened. This is in 2 Kings chapter 3. One of the ways that you got back at your enemy when you could is you took rocks with you into battle and when you conquered him, all of those rocks that he had taken out of his field, you threw rocks back into his field. Yeah. You did his best fields. Can you imagine emotion that's so strong that you want to ruin the property somebody else has? Now, let's make this real. You ever wanted to smash somebody's car? You ever wanted to slam somebody's door? That's what this is referring to here. Except imagine somebody taking stones and just filling your farm with them. Yeah, there's a time to do that. Now, again, this is not prescriptive. This is not saying it's right to do that, so don't go do this. Keep your rocks to yourself. But you know what it's saying? If you live life under the sun, there's going to be some people that's going to really mistreat you, and they're going to do some really mean things to you. And that's going to be a season. 
But those stones that are thrown at you, you know what you can do? You can gather them up. You can get them out your field. And you know what most people in Israel did when they took the rocks out of their field? They made a fence around their property. Go to Europe and you'll see the same thing. Time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. Feel these emotions. I wish you guys could have been with me in August when I got to go back to Brazil to the RBBI. Been two and a half years since I'd been with my pastors and I want to tell you, we didn't say a word, but we hugged and we hugged and we hugged. I got more hugs than you can ever imagine. I got longer hugs than you can ever imagine. Give me a hug. And in that hug, you felt the emotion of how those pastors were so glad to see me. But you should have seen the hug I gave them. Any of you ever been in that hug, maybe with your wife? And it's good. And then all of a sudden, she quit hugging. And being a guy, you knew you did something. But you didn't know what you did. And the fact that she stopped embracing you, she didn't have to say anything. You been there? Have you walked into that room? Have you walked into that store where you saw them see you? And they acted like they didn't see you? And you got the message. That's how they really feel about you. They had rather go get toilet paper than to acknowledge you. That's the emotion of this song. We'll look at the third verse. A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away. We go from life being a cycle, having a beginning, an end, Now, for you, it's linear. But for life in a fallen world, that just keeps cycling. Birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. Planting, uprooting. But your time is short. It's like a vapor. We carry around all of these emotions in a fallen world. But now he deals with something that's really big for us of being in a capitalistic society and that's our possessions. This is the wealthiest man on the planet. In his day, Corey said his wealth was established at $2.2 trillion. Wow. We can't even measure that in inflation today. But here's what he says. There is a time to seek 
There is a season in your life where you go after something. You try to possess something. But then also know this. There's going to be a season where you lose it. And and here's where we struggle. What time is it when it comes to our possessions? When do we say, I've got enough? When do we say that? But you know, at the same time you're in that season of seeking there's going to be others and it'll come to you one day too when you're going to lose everything you're going to be able to hold on to it just life in a fallen world and look at this next one time to keep time to cast away If this principle wasn't true about living in a fallen world, we wouldn't have to have addicts at our house. Amen? You know, there's that time when you possess and you have to decide, am I going to keep this? So we take and put it in the attic. Because we're going to use it again. Right? We're going to need it at some point. We're going to hang on to it so we put it in the attic. We're going to keep it. And you know what? That little garage next to the house connected to that, that's not enough anymore. We got to have a building out back. Because we want to keep so many things. But then there's going to be that season where you're going to throw it away. Can you imagine how humbling that is? To know you put something in the attic that you thought was so valuable, you made your husband go up in the attic and put it in a certain place, and now 20 years later, you forgot it was there, and now we're going to throw it away. Is this not true? How do you know if you're in the season of putting it in an attic or throwing it away? That's what Solomon's wrestling with. And that's what many of us wrestle with. Life under the sun. Life in a fallen world. Now the last part of the song. A time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for and a time for peace. I put these together these eight mirrorisms because I believe these speak about relationships. Solomon's talking about how life has a beginning, how life has ending. He talks about the emotions we're going to have in life. He talks about the possessions we're going to acquire or discard. And he ends with relationships. Now, I'm admitting I may miss this. But I've read enough prose in the Old Testament where in historical books they're describing relationships, especially people's relationship with God, especially people who are in a deep relationship with some, that when that person really wanted to show somebody else how sorry they were for what they did, they would just rip their clothes. And they'd put ashes on their head. 
And they would sit in the presence of God or they'd sit in the presence of the king or they'd sit in presence of the one they had harmed. I'm thinking, man, they must have had a lot of clothes back in those days. Can you imagine every time you blew it and wanted to get right with somebody, you had to tear your clothes? Well, you know what they would do? Once everything had been made right, they'd sew that piece of cloth together. So there's a time to confess, repent. Are you in that season? Where you really need to repent and confess? You'll have one. That's just life in a fallen world. Or are you in that part where you need to sow? See, if we're not careful, many of us let our mistakes of the past define us in a fallen world. But what this is saying, no, there's a season where you get over what you've done and you sew your clothes back together. Because even though you were in a wrong relationship or wronged in a relationship, you can now be right in a relationship that used to be wrong and we get it back together. Mm. I mean, you know this next one, right? There is a time in a relationship when you just need to zip it. Not say a word. Don't raise your hand, but you've been there, right? Yeah. There is nothing you're going to say that's going to make this right or make them right. You just zip it. And it's the best thing you can do. But then there's another season where you speak. You need to say how you feel. You need to talk about it. You need to get that on the table. Now, generally in life under the sun, generally in a fallen world, we go to the extreme. We got the person who never says a word, and we got the person who never hushes. And the speaker is pursuing the one not talking. And the one not talking is running as fast as they can to get away from the one talking. But what the writer's saying here is this. You're going to have a moment when you need to zip it, but then at other times, you need to talk. How do you know when to be quiet and how do you know when to talk? That's what Solomon's struggling with. And then this last part. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I want you to watch what he does here. The first mirrorism in the last part of the stanza begins with a time to love, ends with time to hate. Starts positive, ends negative. But the last sentence starts negative, ends positive. Because here's what he wants you to know. This is just how life is. There's going to be a time... Of love. 
And people love you. But then there's going to be time when people hate you. This ain't saying we have the right to hate. It's just saying it's going to happen. And you know what happens when hate isn't dealt with? It leads to war. And you know who you're at war with. You know every time you see him, the defense mechanism comes up. Or every time she, the defense mechanism comes up and you're ready. It's just life. You're not going to change it. It's going to happen. Life under the sun. Life in a fallen world. But he ends with this. If you crisscross love, you get peace. Hate eventually leads to war. Love leads to peace. Now, that's what we all choose, but we don't get to choose. That's what the writer's trying to say. In life, you're not on your time. You don't have control. Someone else does. And that leads the writer to say this. What does a man profit from his toil? If this is how life is, what does it profit us to live in a fallen world? Next verse. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Now remember verse 1 when he made this statement? He saw the business with which God has made man busy, and he saw how unhappy man is. And this is why he wrote this song. He wrote a song to really say, yeah, you got the right to be unhappy. Because if you live your life in a fallen world, if you live your life under the sun, and you don't have a perspective of life above the sun, you're going to always be asking why. Why, 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 why? What does it profit you? Look at the next verse. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Now we bring the one in who governs time. And he here is God. Everybody agree? Amen? So even though we live in a fallen world, guess whose time we're on? We're on God's time. So guess who's sovereignly in control of all of these 28 seasons? God is. And you know what God's done being God? In its time, he makes all of these seasons good for you. Regardless of which season you're going through. Wow. Now what the Bible's doing here and what Solomon's doing here is He's writing a song out of what he knows God did in Genesis 1. How God created him. When he created everything, it was good. So now we live in a fallen world. But you know what God's done? God's taken sin that man brought into the world. And God's still governing time and seasons. So that when that happens to you, guess what? God's going to make it good in your life. How many of you have ever had something happen? And you thought your life was over. You was devastated. You was mourning. 
And in that moment, you had no clue that a few years later, you'd be doing what you're doing right now. And you now look back and know that was the best thing that ever happened to you. Because you'd never seen it on your own. Can't say that about all things. But here's what Solomon's saying. Every season of our life, God makes it good. That season. Now, how can it be good unless God's got a purpose? God's got a purpose. And that's what we don't need to forget. Now, this next part. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, I think when it says God's put eternity in heart, this isn't saying we long to die and go to heaven because I don't know of anybody that longs to die and go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Agreed? Tell you what. This afternoon, all of you that want to go to heaven this afternoon, we'll meet at 3 o'clock. There'd be very few of you. And those of you that are going to go with me at 3 o'clock to heaven, primary reason you'd want to go is because you've got someone there you love, but then the reason you don't really want to go is because of the people that you love here. That's not what this is talking about. I don't think. What this is talking about is when it says God's put eternity in our heart is God has made us, even though we live in a fallen image, we still are made in the image of God. And we long for eternity. We long to see life from God's perspective. We love and want to figure out life. And that's in our heart. But guess what? God says, I won't share my glory with you. I made you in my image, but you're not me. And here's what's not going to happen. You're never going to figure it out. You're never going to know what I'm doing from beginning to end. So what's it ultimately going to lead us to have to do? We're going to have to trust God. Wow. Now look at this next verse. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. I wonder why Solomon didn't say me. I wonder if he's got to the place that he's given up on really discovering what life's about. Especially at this moment. But he knows there's going to be some that's going to figure it out. Some of the children are going to figure it out. So here's what he says. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So here's what we need to do living in a fallen world. We just need to choose to be joyful. Quit striving after happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening to you. And so many of us are trying to change what's happening to us so we'll be happy. Joy comes from an inward relationship with God that sustains us in a fallen world. Amen? Because our joy is coming from a right relationship with him. Doesn't matter what season of life we're in. We can be joyful because we can concentrate on our relationship with God no matter what season we're in. And then he says do good. I think do good is an immoral perspective here Exactly, but it just basically means this. Be joyful and respond positively. Oh man, he's got me here. I do not always respond positively. <sighs> there have been some things that I've faced and I didn't realize this might be in God's time. So I responded negatively. You'd have to raise your hand too, right? Here's what he wants for us. 
as long as we live, be joyful and respond positively to whatever season of life you're in. Because you believe God ultimately has ordained this season and it's good for you. Wow. And then this next phrase, we saw it last week in Corey's sermon. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. God has a gift that he wants each of us to have and we can experience this gift. And if we experience this gift, the gift of God's presence, the gift of understanding, we live in a fallen world, but we're on God's calendar. It's all in God's time. What's happening to us is not happening in a chaotic way, but it's under the sovereignty of our God, not a fatalistic God, but a loving God. Then you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to eat, he wants us to drink, and take pleasure in what we're doing. And this is God's gift. Now I'll tell you what I've noticed. When we go through certain seasons of mourning, of loss, we don't want to eat. We don't want to drink. Talking about water here. And we don't want to work. We get so sad that it affects us physically. We get depressed. Don't want to eat, don't want to drink. Don't want to get out of our pajamas. Just want to turn the TV on. And let somebody else think for us. That's life under the sun. Because when we deal with the next paragraph, if there is no sovereign God and we're not living on his time, what's the point? Do you know what God wants you and I to do? Well, look what he tells us next. Verse 14 and 15. 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. God has done it. You that are really wanting to change the world, not going to happen. Sorry. So why has God ordained and allowed us to live in a fallen world? So that we'll ultimately fear him. We'll ultimately realize the only one who can help us figure out life is God. And we've got to live God, life God's way. So you know what he wants you to do? You know what his gift to you is? As you go through the seasons of your life. Don't let that season rob you of your joy. Don't let it rob your relationship with him. Respond negatively because it ain't going to affect the other person when you respond negatively. It's going to affect you. And don't quit eating, don't quit drinking, don't quit going to work. But see, here's where 
we need to recognize what Solomon's saying. You're not going to work to acquire things. I hope you don't ever change jobs just so you can have a better standard of living. Because you could take a job that you'll be miserable in the rest of your life. You know what God wants you to enjoy? He wants you to enjoy your work. Because it's not the possessions you can get from working that changes your life. It's you being fulfilled and knowing what you're doing is what God wants you to do. Because you believe you're on his time and not your time. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting us live a life in a fallen world. I know, God. Thank you. I'll tell them right now. Amen. God wants me to remind you we don't live on that side. We live on this side. And now you understand why all things work together for good. But all things only work together good for the people who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why do all things work together for good? Because God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. You know what his plan is? It's to make you like Jesus. Amen? So you know why you go through that season you're going through? It's because God is sovereignly in that season pruning out all of those Adamic ways of thinking and nature that you have and making you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Let's not live in daylight savings time and let's not live on standard time. Let's live in God's time. Amen. And let the world see who we really are and that's a child of God. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.